Welcome to the Unbound Healing Podcast. I'm Anne-Marie Garland, nutritional therapist and health coach at Grassfed Salsa, and with me is my co-host Michelle Hoover, certified nutritional therapy practitioner and writer of everything you'll find at Unbound Wellness. Here we share everything about overcoming health challenges from autoimmunity to hormone imbalance and more with holistic living, mindset shifts, practical tips, and a real food paleo approach. Remember our disclaimer, the content within this podcast is intended to provide general information and is not to be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome back. Michelle and I are so excited to follow up on last week's episode about disordered eating and healing diets. Now, we've had so much incredible feedback on that episode, so if you haven't already, be sure to give it a listen. For this episode, I interviewed Chelsea Gross, who is an expert on that very topic. Now, Chelsea is a certified transformational nutrition coach. She works one-on-one with women who are ready to break free from dieting, create a healthy relationship with food, and live a life they love free from rules and obsession. Her love and passion for health and wellness comes from her own struggle with multiple health issues and a disordered relationship to food and her body for nearly a decade. In 2014, she was exhausted and unhappy and knew it was time to make a change, to nourish herself from the inside out and mend her relationship with food. She went back to school to study the science of nutrition and psychology of eating and created a unique coaching practice centered around empowerment compassion, and ultimately forgiving yourself, which she believes is the catalyst to breaking the cycle. Chelsea uses the power of real food, mindset, and consistent one-on-one support to help her clients create true permanent change in their habits and mindset, confidence and clarity in what works for them, and peace and calm around food. Okay, now before we get into this episode, I wanted to share real quickly about a fundraiser that our friend Beth from Bon Appetit is running. And here is what Beth has to say. When fighting a chronic illness, the feeling of hopelessness almost certainly overwhelms you at some point. Finding the AIP diet, the AIP community, and studies being done to help understand autoimmune-related diseases has restored my faith in our ability to one day overcome these chronic health issues. If I hadn't followed my gut, then I never would have found this wonderful and supportive community. The AIP community has given me so much support that I wanted to give back in a meaningful way. For that reason, I'm launching a t-shirt fundraiser to support Terry Wall's MD Research Fund today. So the t-shirt says, follow your gut, and it's actually really cute, and it's for sale via Amazon. However, they are not affiliated with the fundraiser. So the proceeds from the sale of the t-shirt will be donated to charity from June 1st to July 31st, 2018, and the shirts come in multiple colors and sizes. The sizes do tend to run small, so make sure you take that into consideration, but 100% of these proceeds are going to go to the Terry Walls MD Research Fund, so it's a really great way to support our community. So if you are interested in looking at one of those shirts and helping to support this fundraiser, you can go to our show notes and we will have a link there. All right, let's get on with the show. All right, Chelsea, let us know what you are loving this week. So I was trying to think of something more fun and creative, and I was like, 
I'm kind of living a pretty simple and boring life right now, but something I really love is going on a morning walk. That's definitely my morning routine. I get up, get ready, and I go out for about a 45-minute to an hour walk. I always listen to a podcast, and I make a matcha before I go, and I put it in a to-go cup. Uh, I have a Contigo which is like a spill-proof mug that my fiancé got for me two years ago, and I love it because I can walk and kind of move and fling my arms and (laughs) nothing's going to spill. So I make a matcha before I go, and I really like that having a warm drink and being out on a walk. It's kind of early, so it's a little bit chillier. Um, And I do matcha with full-fat coconut milk. I really like the Native Forest brand, which is – super creamy. doesn't have any gums. And it's the only one I found that is thick and creamy and stays together. doesn't separate a lot. And I just add about a fourth a cup of that and take that on my walk. And it's my favorite little thing to do in the morning. I think that's the same coconut milk brand that I use for my matchas. I think you do. I think I saw that on your Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's perfect. It also doesn't have BPA in the can which I thought was like this profound thing that I was sharing with people. I'm like, did y'all know BPA is in cans? And everybody's like, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, like 25% of you didn't. So there it is. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> uh, yes, I love matchas. I miss them so much. My baby is like really sensitive to caffeine even like decaf coffee seems to affect her oh no I have to have like super minimal decaf coffee and haven't haven't tried the matcha yet Um, oof that is a bummer it's so good (laughs) yeah I love it it's one of did you like it right away or did you have to like acquire a taste for it so it actually took me a while to find it because I went off of coffee gosh three and a half years ago at this point. And I kept trying to replace it with something. So I tried all different types of teas. I just, tea doesn't really light me up. I like it, but I don't look forward to it in the morning. And then I tried things like cryo brew and like the dandy blend and all that stuff. And just nothing really struck my fancy. And so once I found matcha, I was still doing a lot of stevia. So this is something I went off of recently because I started to find myself almost dependent on it. I was adding it to everything and I was like, I need to slow my roll a little bit with this. So that helped in the beginning with the transition because I would do, I think at the time I was maybe doing almond milk or I got in a phase of making my own tiger nut milk Mm. (laughs) and I was doing it with that. that. Yeah. And, and stevia. And then I was like, I'm going to go off of stevia. And now that I found the full fat coconut milk, that with the matcha, I love. I do love the taste because it gets kind of thick and creamy, but it isn't for everyone. It's not, it looks like it's going to taste different than it does, right? Yeah, like, I would, no, yeah. I totally agree. It tastes more like earthy and bitter. It, but my, the way I compare it is like when I first tried coffee, I didn't like that either because it's like bitter and strong and just like this intense flavor that you've never tasted before. I feel like matcha is the same in a different way. Like it doesn't taste like coffee, but it still has like those same characteristics of just being like really intense and kind of bitter. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, coconut milk helps because it provides a little sweetness. And then definitely like if you're just starting out, like adding a little bit of sweetener of some yeah, sort. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But what's funny is that a lot of people think the Starbucks matcha is the same flavors when you're going to make it at home. <laughs> and I looked up because I had a client I had told about matcha and she was so excited to tell me that she'd been trying. And I was like, oh, how are you making it? She's like, oh, I just get it from Starbucks. And I was like... I hate to tell you this because I don't want to put, you know, restrictions on people or tell them anything they should or shouldn't do. But I was like, that's not even real matcha. It's just, it's green tea. It's not ceremonial grade matcha and it has sugar and milk in it. And it's, it's not great. (laughs) So that's, people have to keep their expectations in check too. It's not going to taste like, like Starbucks. Yeah, I bought one. I've like purchased a matcha aside from picnic at one coffee shop, and I was like, I don't want any sweeteners in it. And the the barista looked at me and she's like, It's not going to taste good. It's <laughs> like really because I'm pretty sure I'll like it. Yeah, yeah. Taste must uh, change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's get into your topic. I'm so thankful that you're on here talking to us about this because um, we have just recorded. So at the time you and I are recording, this hasn't been out yet, but this is a follow-up to an episode that we, Michelle and I just recorded about um, how to go on a healing diet if you have disordered eating tendencies. And so I think since you're a coach and working with people on this, you'll just be kind of a, a great transition into all Thank of this. You. Yeah, it's a difficult, difficult topic. And there's not a lot of people out there talking about it right now. And there's not a lot of answers. Right. So I am happy to try and give my take on it and help some people out for sure. Wonderful. Okay, so why don't we start with your health healing story? Okay, so my story is super long and everyone says that, but mine really is really long and there's a lot of different parts to it. So I'll try to do my best and kind of cover a little bit of everything. Um, So to give you kind of an insight of where I came from, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what I do now. So like you said, I'm I'm a coach. I'm actually a transformational nutrition coach. And I work specifically with people who have disordered eating, who have been yo-yo dieting, who lack self-love, self-worth to really find body love, find self-love, and really break free from all of those cycles and disorders. They can really live a life that they love free free from all of that obsession and, you know, all or nothing cycle. So the reason that I do that is because that is something that I struggled with for a really, really long time. Um, but I never really thought that, you know, because I had struggled so much with it, I never thought that it would be a possibility for me to create a career around this. So the whole way that I got into nutrition coaching is that, um, in 2014, so four and a half years ago, um, I injured my back. So I was doing a lot of core power, hot yoga And I was not a yogi. I just threw myself into the hardest classes (laughs) and I was doing them multiple times a week and I just overdid it. So I woke up one day with really severe lower back pain and I just thought, you know, I just thought I overdid it. And I thought in a few days I'll feel better. Unfortunately, in a few days after that, I got in a really bad car accident and I spent the next six months in debilitating chronic pain. 
And I had no awareness around holistic medicine or holistic health or getting to the root of the issue at this point. So I was seeing tons of conventional doctors and pain specialists, but really the pain specialists just prescribed me painkillers. I was taking extra strength ibuprofen multiple times a day. Um, I was doing, you know, PT and chiropractors and all this stuff, but nothing was helping. I just kept getting worse. And I also had no awareness around mindset or that I had any power over anything at this point. So it was just a really, really dark time. Um, things were really bad. I, before I was a nutrition coach, I lived in LA pursuing acting. So <laughs> believe it or not, um, wasn't the best career choice for someone like me who struggled with a lot of things around body image. Um, I was not successful. Uh, so I was working part-time. I was actually working part-time for Lululemon at the time. And I had to quit because I couldn't function. I couldn't stand. I couldn't lift. I couldn't bend with my back. And, um, you know, nothing was happening with acting. So I was just laying around the summer of 2014, completely depressed. I mean, I was, I would definitely say I was near suicidal. I had, I felt like I had nothing to live for. Like, Everything just felt disastrous. I was so unhappy. Um, so one day I was just like kind of searching around online. And I had always loved health and wellness. But like I said, I because I had struggled with disordered eating, which I'll fill you in on pre-2014 <laughs> after this, I just thought, you know, who would take me seriously? Who am I to help others when I have struggled so much? But I always loved learning about health and learning about food. I didn't have the right information or the tools at the time, but I knew it was something I was passionate about. And because I had hurt my back, it was painful for me to sit. And so I thought, well, what is something I could do from home? Like, I didn't even really know if there were online programs out there. At this time, they weren't talked about as much as they are now, online nutrition programs. Um, so I luckily stumbled upon a place called the Institute of Transformational Nutrition, which is where I ended up going to school. I saw the content. I saw the materials. It's a program that combines the science of nutrition with the psychology and spirituality of eating. And I was like, oh, this is it. Like, this is going to help me heal. And then look, I can, you know, possibly learn and grow and pay it forward. And maybe I could make a career out of this. So I signed up the next week. And that's really what changed my life forever. So that's kind of how I got into that. But pre-2014, pre the chronic pain and finding nutrition school, I had always struggled with my health and always struggled with food in my body. So it dates back to, I guess I would say, when I was a teenager, all through my life I had really, really severe anxiety, like debilitating anxiety, panic attacks. Um, it started around when my parents got divorced and I was going back and forth from their houses um, I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. Like I didn't, I couldn't find my own safety. I almost remember feeling just really lost and depressed as a young kid. And when I started having a lot of anxiety, it was when my mom started dating again. And she would say, oh, I'll be home at nine o'clock. And it would be nine one. And I would instantly think she got in a car accident. Something horrible has happened. And so it was this anxiety I couldn't control. And when I would go to her about it, she would say, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. Like, that's stupid. That's wrong. That's bad. Be more like your sister. They were less sensitive and emotional. So very quickly, I felt like I didn't belong. I was wrong for being the way that I was, which is so confusing for a kid. Um, so I, I feel like that sort of made me draw in all these different health issues over the next almost decade. So I, I started in high school having 
crazy tension headaches and chronic migraines. Um, and then I went off to college and that's when my immune issues started. So I was getting sick every month for years and years and years and years. And so I started, you know, I would go to the health center and they would just say, oh, you have strep, here's antibiotics. So that's, I was put on countless antibiotics all through college and after. Um, and that's also when a lot of my disordered eating issues started. So um, growing up, I was, I was normal size. I was actually like pretty small because I was just, I had, I went through puberty really, really late. Um, I was super active. I was a dancer. I played lacrosse. And so weight was not an issue for me. Um, it was more like the mental imbalances and the anxiety and the depression when I was a teenager and in, in, in high school. But for college, I made the wise decision to go to Arizona State, which is the biggest school in the country. And um, I grew up in Pennsylvania. And so I made a big change. I didn't know anyone. When I moved out there, um, I came from a graduating class of 93 in my, in my senior high school class. It was a huge change. Um, and I joined a sorority because my sister had been in a sorority. And very quickly, I learned, you know, I need to look different to fit in. And so that's when I started becoming hyper aware of my body and my looks and fitting in and guys and friends and all of this stuff. And so I, like I said, I went through puberty really late. So, you know, I didn't really start to develop until I was a freshman in college and I started gaining weight naturally, just putting on like, you know, kind of the freshman 15, just kind of growing up in some healthy weight. And I didn't like it, didn't feel good. I felt different. I was freaked out by it. And so I went home after college uh, my freshman year that summer, and I decided I am going to lose weight. I'm going to come back to college and be thin, and everyone's going to like me, and I'm going to have tons of friends, and I'm going to date, and all this stuff. And so I basically only knew at the time the only way to lose weight was just to eat less and exercise more. So I got a membership at the Y and I remember doing the elliptical for an hour every day and just cutting my calories. So I had a summer job and I remember that was the perfect excuse to skip dinner. And for breakfast, you know, I'd have like half a protein bar and like, you know, maybe something for lunch, just really, really cutting back my calories. And once I started seeing progress, like I started seeing my body change, I kind of got addicted to that cycle. So I just like kept getting stricter and stricter and stricter and working out more and eating less and less. And when I came back to school my sophomore year, everyone noticed my weight loss. And so that even, that perpetuated the cycle even more. And, um, you know, I started dating my first real boyfriend and I fell in love and I was living, living in my sorority house and we were going out all the time. And I just thought, you know what, I've figured out life. Like, this is it. Like, you know, I lost weight, I'm thin, I'm getting attention. Um, and I was able to really just keep that up. I just, you know, like a lot of disorder, just really cutting my calories and, you know, just being super restrictive. I kept that up for a few years. And then um, when I broke up with that boyfriend, that was kind of when everything changed. I took it really, really hard. Um, and I started trying to soothe with drinking more and with food and slowly weight started creeping back on. Uh, my senior year, I went abroad to London, and I gained a lot of weight really quickly, um, and I came back, and all of a sudden, I was in this different body, and it did not feel good. I had gained probably like 30 pounds, and I 
like felt, I just felt really bad in that body. And I decided, okay, now I need to lose the weight. So that perpetuated a cycle that then I was stuck in for the next five years um, of just desperately trying to lose weight. So, so much, you know, constant calorie counting. I was trying Atkins. I was trying Nutrisystem. I would, you know, try to starve myself during the day, but then I would end up binging and emotional eating at night. So this is really the cycle that I speak about a lot. It was a restriction in dieting during the day, and then I would closet eat and binge eat and emotionally eat at night, and then I would feel horrible. I'd beat myself up, and I would purge. So I'd either do like laxatives, or I would make myself throw up, or you know, go and over-exercise and not eat the next day. And I just kept thinking, what is wrong with me? Why can't I get out of the cycle? And I kept it as this big, deep, dark secret for so long because I was really ashamed of it. Um, and also at the same time, I had, I was in a bigger body. So I thought no one's going to believe me that I'm struggling, you know, with practice. You know, I, I don't diagnose myself as having an eating disorder because I never was diagnosed, you know, with bulimia. I was more just in this cycle of the restriction and the binging and sometimes purging. And so I thought, you know, no one's going to take me seriously. No one's actually going to believe I, I have a problem because I'm not in this classic thinner body. And so that all wrapped up and just a ton of insecurity, you know, really, really insecure. I would try to supplement with, um, you know, meeting guys and dating guys and having that, trying to make that make me feel better and just picked all the wrong people and was drinking a lot. And then I would emotionally eat and it was just it was a mess for many years. And within that, I also had this like chronic heartburn issue. I was still getting sick all the time. I had severe, severe allergies. Just everything was kind of a mess. And I had no awareness around my mindset and the connection, um, you know, that I had any control over any of this. I was, I was very much the victim throughout this time. Um, I always thought, you know, bad things are going to happen. They're going to happen to me you know, why me? Like, why is this happening? Just, I, I couldn't see my way out of that. Um, so things really changed for me when I, when I hurt my back, it was like this red flag, this alarm going off. It was something I could no longer ignore and I was forced to deal with it. So once I found my nutrition program, um, like I said, everything really changed for me because I started, I met other people in my program who had all gone through stuff. I thought my whole life, I am the only person that has struggled with their weight, that has struggled with disordered eating, that has struggled with their health. I just thought it was just me that was having such a hard time, the anxiety, the depression, all that. And so I met other people that had all been through so much different stuff, whether it was autoimmunity or eating disorders or disordered eating or other health crises. Like I finally felt like for the first time, I'm not alone. And I learned that things don't happen to us, they happen for us. That was something my instructors always said to us and said to make your mess your message. And I was like, okay, I can turn this around. Like I hold the power. This does not have to be my forever. I can change this. And so I just really dug in and started working a lot on my mindset. And I worked, um, I worked with a healer for gosh, almost two years, which was sort of like therapy for me. Um, just really working through a lot of like anger and resentment and stuff from growing up and just being very, very honest with myself, showing myself a lot of compassion. 
Um, and at the same time, learning about food was really therapeutic for me. It helped me get out of the dieting cycle. So once I started learning more about the truth behind the dieting myth, it's not all about calories. It's more about quality versus quantity. I started learning about more real food, anti-inflammatory foods, and I finally started digging myself outside of that hole and at the same time getting balanced with my mindset. So it was very much like a nutrition shift for me and a mindset shift. Um, Unfortunately, that's not the end of my story. So shortly after, things started getting a lot better. Um, I, I often tell this, I, I say to a lot of people that are like, well, all of a sudden I started feeling healthier and then all these big health issues came up. And I said, well, often when like you get to a stronger place within your body, you're at more of a balanced place. Your body is like, okay, now she can work through this stuff. So a couple months after I started nutrition school, I woke up one morning with a distended stomach, like a big bloat and gut distension. But it felt different than just classic bloating because I had done what I had dealt with regular digestive issues also for all my life, like a lot of irregularity, constipation, bloating, but this was different. It was just constant. And so I spent the next couple of years in and out of healing diets, protocols, uh, parasite cleanse, you know, trying to get rid of opportunistic bacteria in my gut, um, candida, low FODMAP, all of this stuff. And ultimately, I was not getting better. So I was at this place where I felt so great around food, so balanced, um, so much peace and calm. I was out of this disordered eating cycle. I had also worked so much on my mindset, which helped so much with my self-worth, but I wasn't able to fully enjoy it because I still had this severe gut distension that I just couldn't get to the bottom of. So last summer, I got hooked up with a doctor down in San Diego who intuitively just thought I had Bartonella disease, which is a co-infection of Lyme. And he did something called a thermography, which is like a body scan. And it showed that I had all these hot spots all over my chest and my back. And I had a blood vessel burst on my left breast. And he said those were all signs of Bartonella. It's called cat scratch disease. I was like, well, I don't have a cat. I don't know what this is. I've never been scratched by a cat. Um, but a couple years prior, I had been bit by fleas, which was super traumatic. I had bought a little potted Christmas tree from Whole Foods over Christmas. <laughs> this is like crazy. And it infected my apartment with fleas. And I got bit all over my body. And I should have gone to the doctor. This was 2012. I should have gone to the doctor. But I didn't think anything of it. But I later learned that is a way that Bartonella disease is transmitted. So he tested me. I came back positive for Bartonella disease and Lyme disease, which I never suspected because I don't carry a lot of the classic um, symptoms. I have some of them, but not, not many of the main symptoms. So it has been a whirlwind. I'm still working on healing the Lyme and Bartonella. I'm not there yet. I'm still dealing with the gut distension. But all of this is to say... Um, like I really do believe that things don't happen to us. They happen for us because it's, it's allowed me to learn so much more about my body, to be able to help other people be so much more compassionate. My biggest goal is to let other people know you're not alone. And so when I work with my clients, it's helpful to, for them to see like, not only have I been through stuff, I'm still going through stuff and you're not alone. Um, so there's definitely positive things that have come out of it, but this is why like I am starting to talk a little bit more about um, the disordered eating connection to healing diets because I've encountered this myself 
And um, I have to be really mindful about it because of my past. So just I'm trying to navigate that along with you guys and, and try to offer some helpful insight. But yeah, that's my, that's my super long story. <laughs> no, your story, and you mentioned this, like letting people know that they are not alone in this. And that is so important. And just as like, it is not just you, literally your story, word for word, is just like completely, exactly identical to my story. It's, I know, it's, like, it's so crazy to me. It, like, yeah. Hearing you be like, oh, and then I, I hit puberty late and I gained the freshman <laughs> and then I lost it over the summer, like everything. It's like blows my mind, but you're right. Like this can't just be a you and me thing. I'm sure there are going to be so many people who are like, yes, I was in the exact same situation, but people don't talk about it. It's this like shame and guilt around talking about these situations. And so we just feel so isolated and alone and Honestly, that's why Michelle and I created this podcast was so that it would bring awareness to like the chronic illness community. But this is another component in it that I'm personally really passionate about because just like you, I had to like find my way out of it and um, just shedding light on this dark situation is really, I think, very needed. So I'm so thankful that you feel confident in sharing your story with everyone. Yeah. And I feel like too, it helps me make peace with the past now that I have a purpose and a passion to share it. You know, it, it sort of helps me feel better about all the crap that I went through and the ups and downs and the challenges and how difficult it was at times because I'm like, well, it got me here. It connected me to people. I'm meeting you right now who shares a similar story. You know, I've met so many other girlfriends through like Instagram and social media who have gone through a lot of the similar things. I now have a career around this. So I am extremely grateful and you have to feel that way. Otherwise it'll feel too overwhelming and you'll, you'll carry around like anger and resentment, which I did for a really long time about, gosh, I feel like I lost years of my life. And why did that happen to me? And why I didn't deserve that. It's like, but if it got me to where I am now, I have to be grateful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, um, I always say to people when they come to me and they're like in the midst of a chronic illness flare, autoimmune flare. And the thing is, if you can't change your circumstances, if those are your circumstances right now, your choices are to live in a bed in a dark room by yourself or get out and live your life in the best way possible and just try to make light of the situation. It's like when you can't change your circumstances, you just have to be grateful for, you know, everything else that you're given and try to make the best of it. And eventually I think, I truly believe that that energy that you put forth will move you past it. Um, it's so true. Yeah. And I felt such a shift because like five, six years ago, if something like this was happening to me, I would probably spend three days in a row in my bed crying with the covers over my head. Like I really let it get me. And now sometimes, I mean, I am a crier. I'm like the most emotional person. I, you know, I'm still dealing with a lot and I let myself go there and be upset and get it out and cry hard and throw a fit and then, but then I'm over it and I move forward and I don't let it take me down. And that's where like, yeah, the mindset shift like really, really comes into play and is so crucial. You have, you have to have that or you wouldn't be able to get through all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like when you, do you feel like it's cathartic to go through those periods of time where you actually let yourself like 
release all those emotions through crying or screaming or whatever you need to do. <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm a really big fan of not suppressing your emotions. I'm telling my clients, I'm like, your feelings are meant to be felt. That is what they're called. They want to get out. And if you try pushing them and pushing them and pushing them, it's going to come out in a way that then you are going to be crying in bed for three days. But if you just sink into it and let yourself feel it, it's like, oh, God, I got that out. Literally, you're physically releasing and you're moving forward. And it's interesting. Sometimes I'll have those moments where I'll be so upset about like my stomach and the health issues and I just like cry. And then it's like an hour later, I can like jump on like a call with a client and uplift her. And it's interesting to be able to have, I almost sometimes do feel like I live a double life, but it, I guess that is just my balance. Yeah. You know, I see that with my daughter because I try not to suppress her emotion. Like if I can tell that she's getting like worked up or angry about you know, I don't know what it is, but like something yeah. and she's just needing to cry and I know she's not hungry. I won't try to feed her. I won't try to like bounce her and distract her. I'm just like, I'm just going to hold you and let you cry. And afterwards she is just like the happiest little being ever. It's just, it's insane to see like, this is what happens if you don't try to like restrict and stifle things with food and total side tangent. But I'm like, I think this might be where our emotional addiction to food comes from is as children, as babies, you're like crying. And our thought as a parent is to immediately like, like feed the kid, you know, mm -hmm. kid wants food. So, and so it's just wonder I'm just wondering, like, what is it in her little brain, like overwhelm or emotion? Like there's something that she's needing to release and I need to just let that happen. And then she's just so much happier afterwards. Yeah. That's so awesome. And it's interesting too. It's like, yeah, if your child is crying, it's like, don't cry, don't cry. <laughs> or right? even like if I talk to my mom sometimes on the phone, she's like, don't, don't cry. Like, don't be upset. And it's like, well, then I feel I'm judging myself for being upset and I'm also upset. But I think in that, and I'm sure you feel this as a mom, it's uncomfortable for you to see your baby crying. So you want to do something about it. So it's being the person on the other side. And I speak about this a lot too. Like I have a really amazing fiance is so supportive emotionally, like thank God, because <laughs> I need that. <laughs> and um, he's able to kind of sit in the darkness. Like I have a few great girlfriends who can do the same thing. I can be upset and real and raw and break down and talk about things that are really upsetting me. And for the other person to be able to sit in the darkness and not like, not try to fix it or say, don't, you know, don't cry. Don't be upset about that. That's really powerful too. I have someone really close to me who struggles with chronic illness and that's exactly what they tell me every time. Like they'll, um, I don't want to use the word complaining, but it's what's coming to mind right now. So yeah. they'll speak their truth about how, whatever they're feeling, what's ailing them at that moment and why they feel bad. And my immediate reaction is always to be like, I'm so sorry, you know, and what they tell me every single time is they're like, I don't need your sorrow. I just need to express it. Like, I just need to talk to somebody about it. And yeah. so, so like coming from the opposite side of it, when I'm trying to support somebody through that, I just try to like send them my healing. Like I was, um, if they text it to me, I'll just be like, I'm sending you so much like healing love and energy. And like, I just try to put forth that rather than empathy for them. Yeah. Well, there's a big difference between sympathy and empathy. I heard someone talk about this and it was like very enlightening to me. It's like sympathy can often make you feel worse because it almost feels like, 
judgment or like they're looking down on you. But if someone can give you empathy and be like, I actually know what you're going through and like I hear you, then you can feel a lot better. So it's, I always tell people to make sure you are confiding in someone that is a totally safe space because sometimes we'll confide in people that actually make us feel worse or just can't understand. And then, yeah, and then we just feel worse. So it's, it's a balance with finding like who you can confide in and when it's safe to cry in front of certain people and all this stuff is so interesting. It is. It's so interesting. <laughs> so I have seen you and you mentioned a few things, but you do occasionally follow like an AIP dietary template. Um, you use the healing kitchen cookbook, which we love yeah. and tiger nut milk and all these <laughs> things that are AIP compliant. But you also do it while, you know, preaching this uh, side of being very intuitive with what you're eating. So I think that that's very difficult for a lot of people to grasp is that you can be following a healing template. Um, you can be following something that could be considered a restrictive diet while also um, focusing on, on like the positivity of it. So how do you mm -hmm. think that that's possible to do that while having a disordered eating background? Yeah. So first of all, I do think it's difficult and that's why we're here today talking about it. And I myself admit, like I've had a hard time with some of the healing diets that I've done because of my past. I've had to be super mindful of when it's no longer working for me. And I mean, no longer working for me from a mental and emotional standpoint and being okay enough to take a step back and knowing that doesn't mean that I failed or, you know, didn't see through the program or the diet like I thought I should, but it's, it's protecting myself and creating that boundary. Um, and I think, so I think first and foremost, that's okay. Cause I think a lot of people jump into healing diets and then if, you know, something happens where maybe they feel too restrictive or just life happens and they kind of fall off of that way of eating, they really beat up on themselves. And it's the same thing with classical disordered eating or dieting mentality, where you beat up yourself, beat up on yourself. Um, so, you know, for me, it has been a trial and error process. Some healing diets have felt easier to me than others. Um, but just really being being mindful if you're ready to jump into that diet because a lot of people aren't there yet. And unfortunately, what we're seeing now is a lot of people who've had disordered eating probably because of that up and down, you know, the restriction, the binging, maybe eating. I used to eat tons of like the artificial sweeteners and all these diet foods and low calorie foods. And then also coupled with like being on a lot of antibiotics and over the counter medications then we develop these digestive issues and we want to fix the digestive issues and the symptoms. And so then we jump into a healing diet before we found any form of peace of mind around food or balance around food. So I think first and foremost, getting yourself into a place where you're ready mentally and physically really to get into that healing diet. So you know, I think even too, before you would jump into something maybe like AIP, have you tried just a regular paleo diet or have you just cut out gluten? Because that's a lot easier. I know that still is a difficult thing for a lot of people, but that's a lot easier than going into these more complex healing diets that do restrict a lot of health foods. And that's what's always been difficult for me, like with low FODMAP having to avoid a lot of perfectly healthy vegetables or same thing with AIP. It's like avoiding the nuts and the seeds and the nightshades and things that it's not like a gluten and a dairy. So making sure, you know, that you've kind of tried other things first that don't feel as restrictive and see if that helps your symptoms. Not everyone has to jump right into, you know, a, um, something as extreme as AIP. 
Um, but I think too, first and foremost, if you're coming from a disordered eating past, making sure you get to a place, like I said, where you feel a lot more balanced. So even from like a physical and biological standpoint, making sure you've balanced out your blood sugar. So you're eating more real food, you're eating healthy fats, you're getting over maybe your likely fat phobia. You know, you've probably come from a past of eating more fat free. You're not restricting meals. So you're not restricting breakfast. You're not restricting lunch and dinner. Um, like just getting to a place where you feel a lot more calm and peace around food first and foremost, um, and getting comfortable with that too, because that can take a while. Um, and then shifting your mindset around when you are actually doing the healing diet. So knowing that this is for your health, this is for healing, this is for symptom relief that's going to add to your quality of life. That is such a big difference than jumping into a quick fix or cookie cutter diet that's going to, you know, just help you lose weight and look different. That's very, very different. They're not one and the same. So really keeping your why, I call it like your powerhouse why, your bigger motivation and inspiration for doing something like this at, your, at the forefront of your mind so that when you start to feel like a little bit frustrated or lost or hopeless, it's like, this is, you know, if you look at all these symptoms and, you know, how it's affected your quality of life, if you know that this is why you're sticking to this diet, I mean, it's a healing diet. That's AIP is a healing diet. It's not a restrictive, you're going to lose weight kind of diet. So just really shifting your mindset because we get pre-programmed and all these diet, this diet culture stuff gets really ingrained in our system. So you just almost have to intentionally bring yourself out of that place and start looking at things differently. So that's really helped me looking at how it's actually helping me on a deeper level. Um, and also having a mindset of abundance. I talk about this a lot where, yes, I, I do. If you look at it on paper, restrict a lot of foods. Like I'm always gluten-free. I'm always dairy-free. I'm always soy-free. Don't eat processed sugar, but that's a choice. You know, like those are, that doesn't feel restrictive to me. I have a mindset of abundance where it's like, I could choose to go have gluten or go have bread, but I know it makes my joints swell. I know I feel really inflamed. I feel sluggish. So it's easier for me to not avoid it versus that food is bad or that will make me fat. Like it's so different. Um, so going into an AIP or another healing diet with the mindset of abundance where you have control, it is your choice to follow this and you can actually, you can, you can stop whenever you want. Um, but the choices that you're making are your own. It's not like, and I know there is like a yes and no list, but it still is your, your it's still your own thing. Like you're controlling, you're making the choices. Um, and then I think too, focusing on what you can have versus what you can't have. So the cool thing about AIP is like you and Michelle have amazing recipes and I'm obsessed with the Healing Kitchen Cookbook, couldn't live without it. Obviously there's so many amazing cookbooks and bloggers and there's recipes and different ways of cooking things available to us. And the cool thing about AIP is when you can't have maybe like some, you know, the nightshades like potatoes, eggplant, whatever, it's like, well, maybe you're trying plantains for the first time or yucca or taro. Like there's all these different things available to us now. So make it kind of fun. Like try different spices if you can't do the nightshade spices or you know, try just different ways of cooking vegetables. Maybe you're ricing them or spiralizing them. Just you know, and get stock up on AIP snacks and things like that. So you don't feel restricted, like actually create the abundance around you, get a new beautiful cookbook and pick out a bunch of recipes you want to try and just try to make it a little bit more fun. So that takes some of that, like, I can't have this away. Um, and then obviously too, like forgiveness, this is, and this is like my biggest thing is if you quote unquote mess up, 
in that moment, you're, the best thing you can do is just decide to forgive yourself. Because often we'll, like if you're on AAP and you have something that's on the no list, like, oh gosh, I've ruined everything. What's wrong with me? This is going to mess stuff up. And obviously if it causes you to have a negative health symptom, that's not good. But that's also knowledge. That's information. And that will help you then maybe avoid that in the future. So it's actually not always a bad thing. Um, but first and foremost, forgive yourself. You know, like there is a new day, there's a new meal, there's a new moment ahead. And just really you have to take care of yourself in those moments instead of decide you're wrong or you're bad or you shouldn't have done that. And that will help you like make it less of that I'm off on the plan, off the plan, and just more of like a seamless, seamless way of doing things. Um, and I think support is really important too. Um, you know, telling people what you're doing, whether that's your partner or your friends or your family, you know, not also to like not speaking about it from a self-deprecating place. Cause sometimes we're like, we're going out to eat and we're like, gosh, I can't have the burger cause it has the bun. I know I'm annoying and I have to ask them for gluten-free. It's like, there's nothing wrong with choosing to make good decisions for your health. Like feel good about it. Feel strong. Um, and I think you guys have said this before. Like if you don't make it a big deal, no one else will either. So I think those are all things that have really, really helped me. But I would say to it, it isn't easy. So I think surrendering to that, that idea too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Everything you said is, it was kind of like a summary of our last episode <laughs> on this topic. Okay, cool. So that was so great. Um, and one thing that you said that I don't think we covered and was totally valid is, um, let me like go back to my notes here. Um, Oh, phasing, phasing into AIP. So starting out on like gluten and just kind of taking one thing out at a time. And if you're new to this, you haven't done AIP, a good resource for that is Angie Alt has a program and I think it runs seasonally. It's called SAD to AIP and it phases you into the autoimmune protocol over the period of, I, I believe, six weeks. So if you wanted to have some one-on-one -on -one support with that, that would be a program that you could seek out. Mm -hmm. uh, so another thing that I feel like is, is common when it comes to like somebody talking about anti-diets or intuitive eating, it's almost like synonymous to talk about those things while also saying, well, to be that you have to allow yourself to indulge in any food that you want. Like you cannot be intuitive eating while also being AIP. Like those two are mm -hmm. like, those two um, contradict one another. But I personally haven't seen that to be the case. I would say that the first two times I tried AIP, that was the case. Like it didn't work for me because I wasn't at the right like point in my healing journey to attempt a diet like that. But on the third time of trying AIP, I feel like that's when I became an intuitive eater because I was ready for it. So how do you strike a balance when it comes to like eating intuitively while also following a healing diet? Yeah, it's the whole intuitive eating movement is interesting to me. And sometimes I have to be careful about labeling myself as an intuitive eater because I know the intuitive eating movement is like literally allow yourself to have whatever you want whenever you want it. And the basis is kind of, and this is like based off of the book, Intuitive Eating, the basis is like, once you allow yourself to have all of that and you don't put rules and restriction on yourself, eventually you won't crave those foods or desire those foods and it will, you'll be able to eat them more in moderation. Um, so, you know, 
I look at intuitive eating and I've taken bits and pieces from it. I think eating real food and having like quote unquote restrictions for health reasons, because what I always say is eating well is the form of self-love and self-respect. So yes, I could go eat like whatever I wanted, ice cream. What I don't feel like that's like, <laughs> I feel like that isn't self for me and where I'm at right now. That's not going to make me feel good. And that's not self-love, but going and having like a super nutrient rich meal of real food that gives me energy, helps my digestion, like feeds my brain. That for me feels intuitive. And the real food in that for me is self-love and self-respect. Like making, I think making good, healthy choices is self-respect and self-love and it is intuitive. So it's kind of the way that you look at it. And I think intuitive eating and food freedom can be different for everyone, you know, and depending on your past, depending on maybe how severe your disordered eating was, or if you come from an eating disorder, disordered eating is like this big umbrella. So maybe you're just someone who's always yo-yo dieted, or maybe you're someone that struggled with binge eating. Like those are very different things. So it's kind of just finding your place and taking, uh, you know, parts from intuitive eating, taking parts from healing diets and real food and kind of figuring out whatever make, whatever works for you. But for me, like, and with my clients, the place that I start is really getting them into real food because your body is like craving those nutrients. It bounces your blood sugar, it brings inflammation down. It's going to help your energy and your digestion. And then you're able to make choices from a better place. Like it, healthy choices become more effortless versus like willpower, right? And so, you know, if you're eating just like processed, low nutrient quality foods, it's going to be harder for you to, I think it's going to be harder for you to keep making good choices because your cravings and your inflammation and everything is so out of control. So I think there is something to be said for allowing yourself to have certain, give yourself a period of time to have whatever you want, but also start educating yourself and learning. I think knowledge is power. Once I started learning the science behind real food and blood sugar, like blood sugar was so, I was like, huh, okay. Like fat, you know, helps balance my blood sugar. Like all this stuff, it was a very aha thing for me. And it helped me break out of the disordered eating. It helped me make choices from a place of like, I care enough about myself to make these choices. So I mean, I don't know if all that really made sense, but like, I just think everyone, everyone is very different. And I think you really do have to find what works for you. Um, and if you are jumping into a healing diet or any way of eating, and it just continues to feel too restrictive, you're still binge eating, you know, like you're still in a cycle, then yeah, you probably do need to give yourself a period of time where it's like absolutely no rules. And like you protect your mental well being and like, you know, you'll get to like lessening maybe the health symptoms that you're having, you know, eventually in the near future, but you have to protect your mindset first and foremost. So it really, I know that's like an unpopular thing to say is like, find what works for your body. Cause a lot of people are like, how do I do that? But that's where I think like working with someone, getting support. I, the great thing about working with someone is that you have that constant physical and mental check-in um, and they can kind of walk you through it and help you figure out like, is this too much? Do you need to pull back? Like, what are you feeling restricted or are you feeling okay? Or do we need to work more on the mindset? Um, I had a doctor a couple years ago when I was beginning trying to get to the bottom of my gut issues and I did a food sensitivity test and I came back with 27 food sensitivities and I was supposed to pull all of them out for three months. And it, I was 
only, I think a year out of like really working on the disordered eating stuff. And it was triggering stuff for me. I've talked about this before. I was eating jar, like a full jar of almond butter in a sitting, like just sitting with a spoon and eat, like, cause I, it, I had all these restrictions. And again, it was all these healthy foods. It was fruits and vegetables and all this different stuff. And I wasn't seeing improvement and it was re-triggering old disordered eating stuff. And I remember crying and sitting in front of her at the doctor's office and being like, it's bringing up like my binge eating and, and just like crying. And I'm so like frustrated and devastated. And she was just like, well, I don't know. What do you want me to do? You want to stop avoiding your food sensitivities? Like that's not going to help. And so it's working with someone that like <laughs> allows you to be like compassionate to yourself. And like, if you need to pull back from the diet. So so that's where, you know, yeah. support, but it's, yeah, it's totally a balance. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? It's so, it's difficult. Yeah. Finding, well, just to touch on the last thing you say, like finding <laughs> somebody who really supports you through that process, because not everybody will. And somebody who um, is maybe a little bit more on the like science-based side might not have so much of this like mindset component reeled in. So making sure that you're finding the right practitioner to work with is going to be like of utmost importance if you have a history of disordered eating. But yeah, I'm honestly like I, when I finally transitioned into AIP successfully, the third time I tried it, I was kind of doing the same thing you were doing, not like with almond butter, but with plantain chips, for example, like mm -hmm. I'd open a bag of plantain chips and eat the whole thing or Jackson's on sweet potato chips or, or whatever it may be. And I just let that happen because for me, it yes. was like, I would see a pattern, like I would, um, maybe I would eat too much like AIP sweet food. And then I would offset it. Like right after that, I'd want to eat a bunch of like crunchy, salty food. And so over time, I kind of just like you said, like knowledge is power. I would see this pattern of like, okay, I want the sweet food and then I go for something salty. So how can I like adjust what I'm eating throughout the day to accommodate both and satisfy both taste buds, but in like a more intentional way. And when I look at intuitive eating because of like the standard definition of intuitive eating, I tend to refer to it more so as like intentional eating. Like yeah. I'm listening to what my body is truly asking for, but I'm thinking about how I can do this in a way that's going to make my body feel really good. And certain foods and certain food groups do not make my body feel good. So I'm not going to put those into my body. So that's like an intention that I'm setting forth and, and following versus like just allowing myself to have it because my brain might be like chemically addicted to the endorphins that the sugar is giving me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so there's just like kind of a, a mindset shift there, but I think everything you said was like really great in helping people try to figure out like how they might be able to make this work. They might be able to kind of go towards like a healing diet while still, um, listening to what their body needs and trying not to like fall back into disordered tendencies. Mm -hmm. So I know that you work, um, you're one of these practitioners that I would recommend and work with clients who are struggling with disordered eating. So that's a topic that, like I said earlier, like causes people to feel a lot of shame and isolation. So what would you, is, are, is there anything you could say like without disclosing particular, you know, private information that your clients have shared with you? Is there anything that you see your clients are facing that might make people feel not so alone? Like maybe it's like a really common issue that you see all of your clients facing that mm -hmm. 
maybe they don't talk about with their friends. And so anybody else experiencing it might feel like it's just them. Yeah, totally. I mean, what you just said too, first and foremost, knowing you're not alone. I think every single woman has or currently deals with some level of disordered eating, some, you know, level of difficulty with their relationship with food. Maybe it's over-exercising or their relationship with exercise. It's it's such a big umbrella. Like I said, it can mean so many different things. Someone who's always dieted or always hated their body, whatever. Every single woman has a something with that, right? So it's remembering you're not alone. And that's why I, I am so passionate about being vulnerable with my story because I really desperately want everyone to know you're not alone because like I felt so alone for so many years and I felt so much shame about what I was doing. Um, so I think you know, just remembering that you're in the majority, you're not in the minority. Like I don't meet a lot of women who, you know, people may act like they have it all together. And that's, you know, sometimes the difficulty with social media or any other content that you're taking in, or even speaking with friends and family. Sometimes people look like they have it all together and they have a good relationship with food, but you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. Someone may make a good choice at dinner and you're like, oh gosh, they left half their dinner on their plate and they don't, they're not going to eat it all. And they don't seem anxious about that. Like I would, but they may be going home and binging on something or beating themselves up or you don't really know what's going on. So I think as much as we can to continue to pull the veil back and that's why it's so nice to start having these conversations and there's so many people like me now sharing their story and everything. I think really just remembering like you are, you are not alone in what you're going through and also that there's hope. Like a lot of people feel like I felt like this way too, that it's, this was my destiny. Like I'll always, I said that so many times, I'm always going to struggle with food in my body. I will never get out of this. And there, there's always hope no matter how deep or dark it feels. Um, but as far as things that I see a lot in my clients, totally people are on the all or nothing cycle. So it's, they're on the wagon, they're eating perfectly, and then they completely fall off the wagon and it's one extreme to another. So it's like, they're good. They're following a diet. Um, they have a certain plan and then they have, you know, they mess up once and I'm using a lot of quotations you guys can't see because I don't really like mess up or fall off the wagon, but um, there's not really like better terms to describe that, but they'll, you know, maybe they have a cookie and then it's like, well, I've already had the cookie and um, you know, I'm going to have to start again on Monday. So I might as well just have the whole bag of cookies and then everything else that's in the fridge and the cabinets because I need to really make this bad so I can really then make it good again and completely start over. So if you can just get those moments back and like I was talking about with forgiveness in that moment, decide I'm going to forgive myself. I honored a craving. I enjoyed the, like, and actually enjoy the things that you're having. So if you do decide to have a treat, awesome. I have them all the time. Actually enjoy it. Don't beat up on yourself while you're doing it and don't plan already for how then you're going to make up for it or start over on Monday. Um, I always say it's not about what you do one time. It's about what you do most of the time. So that takes the pressure off of like being on or off. It's like, you can just always be on and not on in the way of like, you're being perfect, but there's no wagon every, it's just your lifestyle. Um, the other thing I see too, is this like dieting and like failing at a diet kind of pattern and people really beating up on themselves. Um, for not being able to stick to a diet, but the reality is diets, and I'm not talking about healing diets, I'm saying like classic diet culture stuff, they are designed to bring in repeat customers. They're designed for you to like see quick success with a really restrictive plan and then gain all the weight back or you know not really solve the issues that you thought you were gonna solve and so you jump back into doing the plan or the diet or the program or the cleanse or the detox or whatever over and over and over and over. Um, so that's where it's like, 
remembering too, it's not you, it's the diet. Our bodies don't like to be in survival mode. They don't want to be restricted. They want you to work with them instead of against them. And so it's, it's getting out of that mindset, like you did something wrong instead of like, maybe that just wasn't right for you or that's not realistic. Also too, like there's a dark side to weight loss and there's a dark side to dieting kind of the same, along the same lines of people looking like they have it all together. You may see a transformation picture of someone who's like, I lost 20 pounds doing X diet, but you don't know if they're not sleeping at night because they're so starving or they're absolutely obsessed and miserable, can't go out to eat with their friends and family because they're worried about what oils are going to be in the food or, you know, all this stuff. And so there's absolutely like a dark side to it. And I, when I work with a lot of my clients, they're usually coming from a place of, I had that, like I got down to this weight, you know, I want to get back there. And it's like, but were you happy? And often they're like, no, I was miserable. I was starving. My digestion sucked. I had no energy. I was completely obsessed. And so it's like, well, then why do you want to go back there? So it's, it's just like a, it's all of this is just a reframing and a mindset shift to like really focusing on what's actually important because diet culture and the content we're taking in, everything we see is like, your purpose in life in life is to lose weight and look a certain way. And it's just not true. But because we're getting that message so much, we have to intentionally bring ourselves out of it and focus on it. What is actually important going to add value to our life. So those are some of the, the patterns and things that I see a lot of women dealing with. All right. That was wonderful. So what are, let's, let's try to end this with maybe some actionable tips for what people can do to like help break free from disordered eating and maybe even combine in with that, like what they could do. So not just like the physical things that they can do, but also what they could do to emotionally and like mentally prepare for starting a healing diet if they do have that disordered eating background. Mm -hmm. So for some things you can do to start getting yourself out of the cycle that you're in with food or with your body, um, the other pattern I see all the time is like with what I dealt with was this restrict binge, restrict binge. And that's the same thing as like the all or nothing on or off. Um, so really breaking free from that restriction mentality. And it's a mentality even more than like the food that you're having or not having. So, you know, deciding like you're going to wake up every day and you're going to have breakfast no matter what happened the night before. If you feel like you overate, you know, obviously if you don't feel good, wait, you know, till you feel better, but like choose to take care of yourself from the beginning of the day. Don't save up your calories. I see that with women a lot where they are like, well, I know I'm going to want to eat a big dinner later. So let me just not eat all day. That's where it's like learning the science is really important and learning it's not all about calories in calories out because it's truly not. Our bodies are so much more complex. So also to not counting or not and not tracking. So if you have like my fitness pal or you're a calorie counter or you track in some other way or you have a certain amount that you're allotting yourself for the day, getting rid of that stuff. Like you have to, because what happens if you say I'm gonna eat this many calories or this many macros and then you hit that and it's mid-afternoon and you're starving, you're you need to listen to your body and eat. You can't use like a calculator to tell you when you're hungry and when you're not, because that gets you really far away from intuitive or intentional eating. Like that listening to your body and eating when you're hungry, like you need to honor yourself and do that. So you can't let something else decide what you should or shouldn't do. Um and like I, I said too, you know, um that forgiveness. So 
you know, if you go out to eat and you have more than you thought you were going to, or you're beating yourself up, you ate too much or, or you ate something quote unquote bad, forgive yourself first and foremost, because you can't, if you tell yourself that was bad, you're going to want to punish yourself. And that was the cycle I was in. I was doing like purging or laxatives or restricting or over exercising. I call it course correction. Always decide not to course correct. So that's where it's like, no matter what happened the night before, still wake up, have a healthy breakfast, have some water and move forward with your day. Don't let yourself get dragged down by that. And that kind of brings me into, to like not labeling food. So don't label foods good or bad. Even if you're following something like AIP or another healing diet, don't label like this is good. This is bad, you know, because then you feel like you're good or bad and, um, food doesn't have morality. It, it, who you are, your personality, the friend, wife, mother, you are like, that's what makes you a good person. Not that you, you know, chose to eat a salad versus a burger. Um, and the other thing that really you have to do, I mean, you don't have to, but I really am a fan of it is throwing away your scale. Um, you know, you can have one, but I think not getting on it consistently, you know, I, I threw out my scale a couple years ago and it was absolutely influential in my progress, um, with breaking free because I'm not continuing to check in because whether that number is higher or lower, it's either going to make you feel bad about yourself because it's higher or it's lower. And you're like, Oh my gosh, now I have to stick to that. If I don't stick to that, then I'm going to gain the weight. And it's just, it's a mess and you can't focus on what's actually important. And the reality is the weight is not what's important. It's how you feel. So if you get rid of constantly measuring that, then you have a chance to actually listen to your body and how you're feeling versus just the number on the scale. Cause that can be high or low every different day, you know, water, weight and hormones. And it, it can, change so much. So just don't let that like hold you down and hold you back. Yeah. That was one of my tips too, is to get rid of those like metrics that you have for like holding yourself accountable and you know, like the scales and, and all of that. It's just, it's not a useful tool whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for like the mental and emotional component for it, um, specifically if somebody's starting a healing diet, what would you have to share about that? Yeah. I mean, going into it and really deciding like, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a go, but if it begins to feel triggering for me or my mental health suffers or anything else suffers, I'm going to feel safe enough to back out of that, knowing that I'm not a failure and it doesn't mean anything about my worth. It's just not right for me at this time. And I'm going to honor my body and listen to it. So going into it with that objective and just approaching it with compassion right off the bat Um, and then also to like focusing on what you really want. So I've talked about this a lot, um, where allow yourself to imagine a life where you've already, you know, gotten to a place where you've lessened a lot of your symptoms and you feel so much healthier and you're walking around, you've got energy and you're not bloated and like, you don't have brain fog, like actually allow yourself to imagine that that's a possibility and that will help you then keep focused and motivated and inspired why you are sometimes making some of these more difficult decisions around food or you do feel somewhat restricted. It'll, it'll allow you to like kind of get into that mindset that there's a, there's like a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then too, like I was talking about before, feeling very empowered, feeling strong, um, feeling brave. Like I always tell my clients when they start with me, like, 
you're doing something 99.9% of people never do. You're actually investing in yourself and working on yourself and deciding like you're deserving of feeling better and not just chalking your symptoms up to being, you know, common or normal or whatever. It's like, you know, you're destined for it to feel better and like you're actually going to work through this. So be really proud of that. Be excited. You're going to try this diet that could possibly enhance your quality of life, kind of flipping it instead of like, it's something that you have to do or you should do or someone's forcing you to do or a practitioner told you to do. It's like, this is like almost making it a little bit more experimental and, and like fun for yourself. You know, that sounds kind of crazy, but just looking at it from a different perspective, we kind of have to play around with it like that in order to get through some of the challenging times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's um, exactly what I had to do in the beginning was like, I had to, I tried it. And the first time I tried it and messed up, like messed up um, quotes Yeah, (laughs) the first day. And I just totally like beat myself up about it. And it was something that eventually I, I came to the realization that like, this doesn't define me. And I do have a like disordered background with food. I don't have like a strong or in, in the back, like in my history, I haven't had a strong relationship with food. And so it's fine if this doesn't work for me right now. And eventually I was able to successfully do it, but I'm so glad you mentioned that because I feel like so many people will like beat themselves up about it if they are just not ready. And it it doesn't, Mm -hmm. they don't need to, it's not, it's okay. You know, they, they don't need to have a practitioner in the back of their head saying like, Oh, but you're just going to go back and eat all of your food intolerance. (sighs) Oh, let them do what they need to do. Like mind is a huge part of this and we can't just, we can't just do whatever like our test results tell us to do if we're not ready to do it. Totally. Um, Yeah. You know your body better than anyone. So even if it's a fantastic doctor with decades of experience, like it's your body and you are, you are still in control. So make sure like when you're jumping into doing something that they recommend, whether that's a supplement or a protocol or whatever, it has to feel right to you and understanding too why you're doing it. So like that's where like education and stuff. So why are you avoiding the foods that are on the AIP diet? You know what I mean? Like understanding why you're making those choices gives you some confidence and, and like a relief as well. Right. Yeah. We had a conversation with Simi Bodish, um, uh, early on in this podcast, I would say like maybe episode nine and it was about intuitive eating and she's an intuitive eating expert. And she also tried the AIP and after she didn't find a lot of success with it, she found it to be too triggering for her. She identified the fact that like, I have celiac disease, but it wasn't causing any issues for me. So while it seemed to make sense for me to do AIP, I didn't truly believe that I needed it. And so it was just about restriction for me rather than about health. So really like diving deep into like your why and making sure that it is about the health um, aspects of whatever you're doing. And it's not just a way to like, like superficially change something, but it's really about like changing and healing. Yeah. I think the, the last thing I, I feel like would make sense. Um, last thing to talk about here that would make sense would be about self-love. So what are some ways that you show yourself self-love and that other people who are kind of in the same boat could, uh, could show themselves some self-love? Yeah. So along a lot of the lines of the stuff I've talked about today with the mindset forgiveness, 
um, that has just been so crucial for me in so many different aspects of my life. And I feel like not beating up on yourself is self-love, knowing we all make mistakes and just to approach your life and your lifestyle and your diet with just a lot of compassion because life is hard and health issues are hard. I mean, you guys, I know what you're going through. Like it's not easy. And so just cutting yourself a little bit of a break and just showing yourself self-love, literally what it is, but a lot of compassion. Um, also to having a lot of awareness around my negative self-talk. When a lot of people come and work with me, they are on autopilot. And this is how I was too. We, like I said, it's so pre things become so pre-programmed and ingrained in our minds, <clears throat> in our minds. And we're not even realizing how many negative things we're saying to ourselves. And that can be our looks and our body, how we're approaching our diet, how we are as maybe a mom or a friend. Like it can be, you know, in the workplace, like all these different things are, we're judging ourselves and we're pushing ourselves down 24 seven. So one of the best things to do is just simply starting, starting to have awareness around it. And it's kind of the same thing that we were talking about with emotions. Instead of trying to make them go away, instead of trying to make the negative thoughts go away, just start by noticing them, noticing how many times you're even saying all this to yourself. And then you can explore replacing it with different, um, different, more positive thoughts, or even to just bring yourself into the reality of it. So sometimes people have these like really extreme, far off negative feelings about themselves. And then if you actually say that out loud, or you actually really sit and think, do I actually believe that? You don't. So it's just, it's awareness and really like this sounds cliche, but talking to yourself like a best friend, like I try to just be super nice to myself. I know I'm going through a lot and it can feel difficult and overwhelming. So it's like, yeah, just giving myself a little bit more credit and just, you know, if I had a friend going through what I was going through, I would want to be super kind and supportive. So I'm going to try to give that to myself. Um, another thing too, with health issues or certain symptoms, things that you're going through, remembering that's not you. So like I have this gut distension and I, it's hard cause I see it on my body and it, it, you know, gives me a different body image and self image, but it's not me. Like that's what I'm dealing with. That is a symptom. It's, it's a health you know, it's connected to my health issues. It's not me. So it's like, whatever you're dealing with, remember like that's, this is a, something, it's a slice of time that you're dealing with this. And as much as you can, as difficult as it is to try and separate yourself from that and just remember like you are not your symptoms. You are not your health issues. It's just something that you're experiencing right now. Um, and then for me and self-love, like I love alone time. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm definitely more of an introvert. I can become more extroverted. And when people talk to me and meet me, they're probably surprised that I would classify myself as an introvert, but I need that time downtime to, uh, decompress. So I always honor that. And I give myself alone time. I'll say no to things if I need to. And I think that's self-love for sure. Um, quiet time. I really like all that stuff. Okay. That was so great. And I like absolutely loved this episode. I'm not just saying this. I really think that this episode and the one before it are going to be like my two top most referenced episodes. Aww. Just because there's so many people out there that need to hear this. Like you said, I feel like every woman at this point likely has some level of disordered eating tendencies. And it's a question that I get asked all the time because people know that I struggled with that too. And this is just kind of like all of the tips and all of the good things like right in one resource. This oh, is so, so glad. 
Yeah. So tell us about all of your online gigs. Yeah. So I am a fellow podcaster. <laughs> um, I have a podcast called Nutrition Ish. And I have an awesome co-host. Her name's Allie. She's a nutritional therapy practitioner. She lives down in San Diego. We met off of Instagram because we've dealt with a lot of similar health issues. And um, that is available on iTunes or our podcast, Nutrition-ish podcast, or our website, nutritionishpodcast.com. It's a little bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> um, but I, you know, we talk a lot about this kind of stuff, um, a lot of like self-love, diet, mentality, and then a lot too about um, more specific health questions. We are listener Q&A based as well. Um, and the other thing I have is that I, I am taking one-on-one -on -one coaching clients. I have a signature program called Make Peace with Food, which is designed to help you ditch dieting forever, create a healthy relationship with food, and live a life you love free from rules, restriction, and obsession. Um, so that's my signature one-on-one -on -one coaching program. It's entirely virtual, so it's by phone or Skype, and I actually now I'm international, so you can truly live anywhere in the world, which is super cool. Um, so yeah, you can find me on my website, nutritionwithchelsea.com for all more info about that. Um, and yeah, also Instagram at nutritionwithchelsea. I'm constantly sharing a ton about this stuff. I'm, like I said, really vulnerable and open with my story. I actually love to write. Um, so every other post, I usually do a whole like heartfelt thing. <laughs> um, so if you like this kind of stuff, come on and follow me over there and a lot about real food and and all this good health stuff too. Wonderful. I love your Instagram account. You just like provide a lot of positivity around all of this. It's great. Thank you. So let's end this with your meal of the week. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> kind of putting you on the spot here. It's just funny because you, I, First of all, I love your podcast. I'm not just saying that. I've listened to every episode. Um, and you guys have such, I feel like, such interesting meals of the week because you guys do recipes and you're both so creative. Um, me, not so much. But I, the breakfast I've been loving, I've been obsessed with this. Um, I'm wondering when I'm going to lose interest in this, is kind of like a breakfast wrap. So I use the Sun Food coconut wraps, and I like the turmeric flavor. They're just coconut meat, coconut water, coconut oil, and turmeric powder. Um, and then I, I love greens. Like I'm not just saying that. My body truly is like wakes up in the morning. It's like matcha. Then I need greens. Mm -hmm. So I love kale and I like dandelion greens. Um, and I'll mix them together because the dandelion greens can be quite bitter. Mix them together so they get kind of crispy. I do have a crispy kale recipe on my site, which can I even call it a recipe? It's barely, it's two steps and three ingredients. Um, so I'll put that on the wrap and then usually like a leftover protein. So maybe like ground chicken or wild salmon or something like that. And I'll heat up. And then I do a drizzle of algae oil. Have you tried Ooh, algae oil? I haven't. Ooh, yeah. That's um, really interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a monounsaturated fat, um, but it also has a higher smoke point. And it's liquid-based. Um, and it has like a nutty flavor. I just love it. And so I'll do a drizzle of that and a little bit of sea salt and kind of do a little bit of a messy wrap. And I just really enjoy that. Yeah, it's like your – I just came up with this concept. Like came up. Um, I just took the capsule wardrobe concept and came up with it for like 
eating. Um, I call it yeah, mm-hmm. it's like a capsule meal plan. And so that's like one of your your capsule outfits is like your meal. I love that. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna like blog it, I think, with some examples because people are like, oh, I like this, but I don't know how to make it work. So anyway. That's um, genius. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> um really just like I'm not genius. I just like took something from the fashion world and made it work for food. Um, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So where do people get these wraps and the algae oil? Uh, the sun food wraps. So I'm spoiled. I live in Los Angeles. There's a health food store called Irwan here where I get the wraps. Other than that, I've ordered them on Amazon. And they also have them on um Vitacost, and I think Thrive might have a version of them. I don't think it's the Sun Food, or you can order directly from their website. Um, but if you live in a different city, your local health food store might have them. I haven't seen them. They're not at Whole Foods or other grocery stores, to my knowledge. Um, the algae oil I have gotten from Gelson's, which is a Southern California chain. Um, but I think I'd have to look into where else you can get it. That's where I get it. I didn't okay. get it online. Yeah. The brand yeah. is called, it's Thrive Culinary Algae Oil. Okay, I will try to find a link and we can share, we will share links to everything that Chelsea has talked about in this episode um, in the show notes. So you guys can head there. And that's it for today. So let us know how you're liking the podcast. Leave us a review in iTunes. We'd really appreciate that. That also helps other people to find our podcast. And go over to visit Chelsea, Nutrition with Chelsea, on Instagram and show her some love. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Thanks so much for listening to the Unbound Healing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe in iTunes and leave us a review. Until next time, you can find more from me, Anne, at grassfedsalsa.com and more from Michelle at unboundwellness.com. We'll see you next week. Bye.